How many of you have bought something new in the last month? Some are like, I don't, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> you, you've bought something new in the last month. Okay, good. Thank you. How, how, many, how many are still satisfied with what you purchased? It's good. Good. Some of you is content. Some of you is happy. How many, how many is looking for something else? <laughs> Always. Good, good answer. Always looking for something new. I mean, you know, I mean, with, with the evolution of technology and the evolution of, of products, I mean, uh, we were talking about my mother-in-law uh, the other day. She was born in 1924, and, and we were talking about how uh, the changes that she has seen in her life from 1924 to 2016 and uh, just the, the enormous uh, changes that have taken place in, in our society. And even most of us sitting here today, we have seen phenomenal shifts and, and changes. And so it's, it's, hard, it's hard to imagine a simple life. It's hard to imagine a life where, where you are just content, you grow your own vegetables, you raise your own animals, you, you live pretty self-contained uh, on a piece of ground, but because our society has, has, has really baited us into an attitude of desire and, and want. And need something new. You you buy. How many has ever bought something new? And when you walked out of the store, you seen a billboard, or you got home and seen a commercial that was advertising something just a little better than what you just bought. And it makes you mad. It does me? Makes makes you mad. I mean, you you thought you was buying the latest and the greatest, and and only to discover that. There's something else better. You, you, you buy the latest tennis shoes, and, and before you get home, there's another pair of M, MJs. That's Michael Jordan for some of you that don't know. But it's always these things. And so you, we buy something new, and before it even gets old, before we hardly ever take the tags off of it, we're wanting something else. We're, we're desiring something else. We want something newer than the first car payment when the, the new car smell I mean you take it to the car wash every day of the week to get new car smell put in just to try to help you make it through making the payments and if I if it smells new then then I think I'll make the payment when it the, the new car smells going it's like oh, what was I thinking always looking for something else. And, and so in our study, and I just want to be a little repetitious here for just a few moments, we, we've, been, we've been kind of circling the wagons around two words, and those words are passion and zeal. Passion and zeal. Passion is a strong and barely controllable emotion. Passion. Passion is what ignites the fire. Passion is what we would consider the lighter fluid for the charcoal. Well, that's, that's antiquated because most of us have LP grills now. But for you that remember charcoal, the lighter fluid is what got the charcoal to begin to burn. But then it left needing the lighter fluid and began to be self-sustaining, self-burning. 
Passion is what gets us started. Passion is the thing that will cause you to fall in love. Passion is, is what causes you to purchase the car in the first place. Passion is what causes you to join a church or a ministry. Passion is what brings you into the initial experience of salvation. Passion is the excitement. It's the emotion. But the second word that we've been talking about is the word zeal. And zeal is what takes you past the emotion or past the passion and, and causes you to become committed to something. Committed to something. You buy into something. You, you're, it's not just for the short term, but you buy in for the long term. Many times in the scripture we are told that he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. We're, we're told to endure afflictions. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we're not careful. Passion will get us so excited about something, but then when the hardship comes in, when the new wears off, when the excitement has dissipated, what keeps us going? What keeps us moving forward when you wake up after you married the chick and her breast stinks? Or you look at the guy you married who was Mr. Ten when you married him, and now he's got hair growing out his ears. It happens. And the hair that he once had is now absent. And the chick has a couple kids, and she loses her hourglass figure. While that may be humorous, the fact of it is, it's at that point that if you're not committed to it, passion will cause you to start something new. Passion will say, I need something younger. So the 40-year trades the 40-year in for 220s. He's not wired for it. Or the midlife crisis causes him or her to do something because they're, still, they're looking to revive that youthfulness and they're looking to revive that, that life that they want to know. But see, it's the zeal that causes you to buy in for long term for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. I'm not going to walk out when times get tough. See, the, thing, the same thing happens in the kingdom of God. Jesus addressed it one day when he said, some of you are following me for the loaves and the fishes. Some, some of you bought into this because it was excitable. Man, there were miracles taking place. There, there were healings. There were people being fed. You bought into it. But, but now if, if the fish stops flowing and the bread isn't readily available, then you're ready to go check out something else. See, the same thing applies when you become part of a church. It's, it's a lot of times easy to become a part of the church because you like the music, the preacher preached one good sermon out of the year, and you were there on that Sunday. 
And, and, and so you buy into it, you, you embrace it, you, you enjoy it, but then all of a sudden, one, one Sunday, the music is just not there and, and, and the preacher says something that, that gets on your toes and you can get a little offended or, or, or something happens that, that, that you didn't, and all of a sudden, well, I guess it's time to go find another church. I guess it's time to go find another ministry, another praise group, another pastor. They've got more going on over here than this church has going over here. And so it's easy just to check out and go look for something better. But God is looking for some people. See, he said through John, the revelator, he said, he that is faithful unto death shall receive a crown of life. Oh, I feel a little Holy Ghost up in here on Sunday. Be ye faithful unto death, and you shall receive a crown of life. To every church, the seven churches of Asia, the second and the third chapter of Revelation, he says to each one of those churches that he that overcometh, he that overcometh, he that overcometh. See, you've got to have an overcoming attitude in a world that's trying to sink your ship. Oh, hallelujah. And so... Passion rides the wave of emotion, but zeal is set in the will of a person. See, passion would take Christ to the cross, but his zeal for it would cause him to lay down his body on the cross. Thank God he did. Passion says, hey, do you have another cup? But zeal says, not my will, Come on, help me out a little today. Not my will, but thy will be done. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. That's passion. Give me another cup. But zeal says, I'm willing to drink the cup that you gave me. Mm. And so when you look at these two words, it's very important that we embrace them because, because passion has a, a vision, but zeal has the strength to fulfill the vision. Passion wants to change the world, but zeal is willing to work long hours with limited affirmation for years to actually change the world. I'm amazed at people who are dedicated to causes, and one of them are doctors. I'm amazed at doctors, and, and I appreciate doctors who will sacrifice a lot of their youth and a lot of years of their life to serve other people. And I appreciate that because... In the society that we live in, most of us are looking for instant gratification. See, we're the microwave generation, and I like my microwave. I mean, whoever thought you could have popcorn in about 30 seconds? I, I, see, some of us are old enough to remember mama putting the popcorn in a, in a pan and shaking it over the fire and, and I'm working it, you know, and it takes for, man, now you just throw a bag in the microwave and punch a button and, man, buttery popcorn in just a few seconds. We've, we're the microwave generation and what we've done is we've adopted that into all phases of our life. We want it, but we want it I thought you'd know what I was talking about. We, we're not willing to, to invest. We're not willing to, to wait. We're not willing to go through the process. 
And so our passion takes us from one thing to another, from one job to another job. I don't understand. I got this job today. I don't understand why I'm not the CEO tomorrow. My passion causes me to join a gym and cannot understand why I'm not buff in three days. You know those guys that, you know, and those gals that, you know, they've got the guns and they've got the muscles. That's a lot of work. I mean, that's, that's persistence day in and day out. That's pushing away from the donuts when you come into church on Sunday morning. And it's eating things like spinach and kale. Yeah, my sentiments exactly. But passion gets you started, but it's only zeal that will keep you committed. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11 in the NIV says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And that takes effort, ladies and gentlemen. That, that takes a commitment. Because all of us, including myself, do not want to submit this, this flesh to prayer. I mean, even as a pastor, and this is confession again, but even as a pastor, I don't roll out of, the, out of bed on, on each morning and just drop to my knees and, and stay there for two or three hours. It's, it's a constant working. It's a constant discipline that I have to have to stay at the throne of God. It's a constant discipline. I mean, I can sit down and read a novel and read it from start to finish. I open Deuteronomy. And it's like I took a sleeping pill. And I'm all excited about it. And, and I open the Bible and I want to know what God's saying. But there's just something that all of a sudden, man, and so I have to force myself. You're going to stay awake and you're going to read and you're going to stay in God's word and, and you're going to be committed. You know, because ladies and gentlemen, passion brought me to Midland, but I've had a lot of opportunities to change passion. I've had other churches, bigger churches, more opportunity, call and, and invite me to come. But my commitment says God brought me to Midland to do the work that he wants to do through me. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I've got to constantly stay committed to it. I've got to constantly stay focused. God, I need to hear from you what your people need to hear. I don't want to just get up there and preach some little sermon. I, ladies and gentlemen, there's never been an easier time to be a preacher. Seriously, do you know how many sermons are on the internet? I mean, I would never have to study again. I mean, there are, there are websites that are designed to give you sermons and outlines and illustrations, and you just kind of bump them up and embellish them a little bit so everybody thinks you really went through that. But my zeal said... The, the people come to be fed. They need to hear from God. They, they need to hear a fresh word. They need bread from heaven's bakery that wasn't baked. It's not day-old bread or last week's bread, but it's fresh bread. I'm committed to that. 
I believe in you. I, 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 I don't take you for granted. I don't just say, well, you know, they're going to be there, so, so it doesn't really matter. No, I know that you've, you've struggled in the world this week. I know that you've had all kinds of pressures that's come. I don't want to add to them pressures and create stress in your life. I want to bring you into the presence of God where you get a fresh word and you walk out of here chewing your cuts and, mm, man, that was good bread. Oh, man, I, I'm going to eat on that all week. It's going to carry me through because I'm committed to this, ladies and gentlemen. Our praise team, even though they're full of a lot of passion, they are, they are committed. They, they are zealous people for the house of God. And we are thankful for that. Because if, if they weren't committed, they could come in here and just, just replicate the songs that are being sung on Caleb. And we'd be like, oh, okay, groovy, man. Oh, y'all don't know what groovy means. That's from a real nostalgic moment there, Brother Jerry. <laughs> that goes back to bell bottoms and shag haircuts. <laughs> but they're committed. They spend time in prayer. They spend time seeking God. They don't want to just get up. You wonder why Clinton doesn't just rush into a song and Brother Jeremy doesn't just rush into a song. They, they are committed to leading us into the presence of God. I'm thankful for that. And so he said, never lose your, uh, never be lacking in zeal, but keep the spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So we talked about three things, and I'm going to quickly uh, touch on them and, and move on. But we talked about in our, our passion versus zeal, we talked about, number one, pursuing God's presence. Pursuing God's presence. None of us can just rush into the presence of God. But we are in pursuit of God's presence. In fact, the psalmist tells us that if we want to ascend to the hill of the Lord, we need to have clean hands and a pure heart. And we've not lifted up our soul into vanity, nor have we sworn deceitfully. It takes an effort to get into the presence of God. Cleanse your hands, you filthy sinners, is what the Bible tells us. We need to have an upright heart. We need to come into his presence lifting up holy. Anybody with me today? Lifting up holy hands. That means hands that are set apart to do good. That means hands that are reserved. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, clapping for the world on Monday and then trying to clap for God on Sunday. I've got holy hands. My hands are reserved for worship. My hands are reserved to honor Him. So we're in pursuit of God's presence. The second thing is we're in pursuit of God's house. Gathering together in God's house is vitally important. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but much more as we see the day approaching. I think all of us are well aware that our world's in trouble. Our world is literally a powder keg. None of us know what's happening. That's why you need to pray for your president. Pray for your Congress. Pray for your, your senators and, and your legislators. Pray for the election. 
I don't think it's going to be totally up to man, but I do understand that God raises up and God brings down. And we're not to, to speak disparagingly against dignitaries. Well, that went over like a concrete cloud. But we're governed by civil, and civil authority is governed by God. And so he says, obey the laws of the land. Supposed to do it, ladies and gentlemen. That's what the word says. But we need to pray for those that are in authority. You need to pray over this election that God puts the right person in place. His will's going to be done, but he puts people in place to accomplish his will. And you may not like him, and I may not like him, and nobody may like him, but if God raises him up, he's raised him up for his, oh, I didn't mean to get on this, but he's raised him up for his purpose, and he's raised him up for his glory, and God's will will come to pass. And that's good preaching, I don't care who you are. But we need to pursue God's house. And the third thing is we need to pursue souls. We need to pursue souls. And I've given you statistics in the last three weeks of, of people and, and our society. If every church in Midland was full today, regardless of denomination, every church in Midland was full, 75% of Midland would still be home. We have a job to do. We have a task to do. And so I want to use that as a foundation to talk to you for the next few moments from Matthew chapter 4. Verses 18 through 22. Matthew 4, 18 through verses 22. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And so I want to close with three points very quickly that we need to consider from this scripture. First of all, they were called. They were called. A calling, going back to our two words, can have one of two effects on your life. A calling can make you passionate for the moment, or a calling can make you committed. Jesus walked by and he called them. I mean, could place yourself for just a moment in, in their place. You, uh, you're, you're, I know it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this because there is no great fishing around here. But, but imagine for a moment you, you are fishing and a man walks by, perhaps you've never heard of, you've never seen him, you don't know where he's from, but, but he simply walks by and says, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And you're like, right. 
I'm doing good. I've already got a career. I've... And yet there was something in the voice that, that was more than just somebody saying, let's go do something else. There was something that piqued their attention. It captured them. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It was the call that dislodged them. See, what God is trying to do in this series that we're talking about vision, mission, and purpose, what God is trying to do is to dislodge us from just being religious. He is trying to dislodge us from just being church attendees. He is, he is trying with his words to say to a congregation, just like he said to Peter and Andrew, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Souls are important to God. People are important to God. All people matter to God. Calvary, as I say and will continue to say until you're sick of hearing me say it, Calvary was not logistically positioned for one people. Calvary was strategically located for all people. Regardless of color, language, culture, de demographics, economics, Calvary reaches from the guttermost to the uppermost to the uttermost. Calvary is not concerned about one person. It's concerned about every person. And I will continue to say, the church has to lay down its prejudice if we are going to be effective in the world we live in today. There is no such thing as a black church or a white church or a red church or a yellow church or a Spanish church or an American church or an African church or a Russian church or an Ethiopian church or a European church or a Ghana church or a South Africa church. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There is one body, and God is the head of that body, and we are members uh, placed into that body. And until we realize that and embrace that, we will never be effective in our world. The church is international. The church is not strategically located for one demographic. The church is for whosoever will. Let him come and drink freely at the waters of life. Whosoever will. Whosoever will. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us he broke down the middle wall of petition. And he made of all nations one blood. One blood. There's only one color in the church, and it's crimson red. It's the blood of Jesus that we're all washed in. <laughs> and that's the truth of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. That is the truth of the gospel. But they were called. They immediately, the Bible said, they left their nets and they followed him. And what God is trying to do through this series is to dislodge us from our religious comfort zone 
and our churchisms and our church colloquialisms and our mannerisms, and he's calling us into the field. The only prayer request that Jesus gave was pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into the field. Labors. And I will go further to say on this Sunday morning that he did not call us just to occupy seats in a church. He did not call us to church membership and he did not call us to clickisms. Some of you, and I'm going to wade off into it because I feel led to today, but some of you can only shake hands with people that are righteous in your own eyes. Some of you can only talk to people that look like you and act like you and vote like you and believe what you believe. You'd be surprised at the people that sit in this congregation, the difference in diversity of belief. There are people here that are so anti-abortion that they would fight for it. There are people here that, that say, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And you're like, oh my God, Pastor, you, you, that's the world we live in, folks. And before we get all sanctimonious and prayed with our little signs, we need to find a prayer room and pray through until we see people the way God sees people. I don't have to agree with you to worship with you. See, maturity, Christian maturity, causes you to step along people that don't vote like you or act like you or believe what you believe and say, we're still worshiping Almighty God. Oh, I lost some of you big time this morning. The culture of our world is shifting. The winds are shifting. We're raising a generation of millennials now that don't have the values that some of you older folk have, and it's annoying to you. Therefore, you're able to isolate yourself instead of insulate yourself and begin to mingle with them so you get to know where they're coming from. I, don't even, I couldn't repeat it, but it was powerful. There are people sitting here that don't think anything's wrong with gay marriage, and there are people sitting here that says, my God, they're going straight to hell. And while you get quick to defend your position, why don't we find a place to pray? Do you not, ladies and gentlemen, think that God did not know the depravity of man? Did you, do you think that God did not know that man was going to go to the lowest levels? And yet he still said, I'll go to Calvary. I'll go to Calvary. See, for some of us, ladies and gentlemen, it, it, it's, it, it, if we were caught, we'd, go, we'd be guilty. But some of us, if we were charged by our thoughts, we're just as guilty as somebody that's committed the act. Ooh, it's getting a little quiet up in here, but I'm preaching a little bit right now. It's like getting stopped for speeding when you wasn't speeding. Like, yeah, right, Pastor. <laughs> no, I've literally been stopped for speeding when I was not speeding at that moment. 
And I want to justify myself because I wasn't guilty at that moment. But if he'd have caught, if he'd have caught me down the road, I'd, I'd be doing jail ministry. And some of you are the, <laughs> yeah, your face is giving you away. He did not call us to be fish inspectors. He called us to be fishers of men. And as we talked about last night, or last Sunday, when they threw the net out, they caught all manner of fish. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what the church is. It's people from every walk of life with every belief and value set. But coming here, it's the common denominator that he lifted us up out of the miry clay and he put our feet up on a rock and he established our going. I'm not lost today. I'm saved. But just because I got saved, don't expect me to vote Republican or Democrat. Just because I got saved, don't, don't expect me to line up to a, uh, uh, your political view. He didn't change their personality. He changed their salvation. And we've got to become mature enough that we can worship with people that we may not see eye to eye with. Ooh, that's heavy. But it's right. Because we've been called not to sort the fish, We've been caught, called to fish. I said, we've been called to fish. So he called them. The second thing, very quickly, is he called the unqualified. I love this. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus came, George, he didn't go looking for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and say, I want you to join my church. Most of us would not have chosen Peter. He had a cussing problem. Some of y'all still do. Some of us still do. But we're going we're to make it. We're going to be okay. He called the unqualified. He didn't call and he even said, they that are whole don't need a physician. Man, am I helping anybody today? Because I sure feel the Holy Ghost up in this place. My God, my God, my God. See, some of you are waiting until you get, all, you get it all together and you're, you're trying to say, well, once I know what you believe and, and, and adopt all of that, hey, come on. Don't try to adopt what I believe because my beliefs are just as flawed as yours. Wow, you never thought you'd hear a preacher say that, did you? I mean, I deal with flesh just like you deal with flesh. But I've got to constantly pursue God's presence. Because in his presence is where my flesh has to submit and surrender. In his presence is where I've got to take up his cross and follow him. In his presence, uh, he begins to deal with me. Hey, you didn't act right. In mm, my God, I'm feeling a little Holy Ghost up in here. See, when you get in God's presence, sometimes he, God reminded me in prayer this past week that I need to go back to something from 1995 and, and remedy. My God, that's 21 years ago. The person may not even remember. He, didn't, he said, it's not whether they remember or not, it's about doing what is 
right. And so God deals with me. I got into his presence. And when I got into his presence, he starts dealing with, hey, you got a little dark area over here. You, you didn't do right to somebody. And you need to go back and fix it. See, that's what true repentance is. But back to our subject, most of us are waiting until we get qualified so God can use us. If you get qualified so God can use you, then you're going to get the glory and not him. And he doesn't want you to get the glory. Wow, y'all ready for barbecue? He will not give his glory to another. The glory in is that he takes imperfect people, messed up people, with all kinds of problems and all kinds of ideologies and he fills them with his spirit and he says, now I want to use you and now I'm going to get glory because you can't take the credit because you couldn't even put the thoughts together if I hadn't touched you with my spirit. So he qualifies the unqualified. Some of you are sitting here today you've already disqualified yourself in your own mind because you don't think you measure up to somebody's expectation. I simply challenge you today to pursue God's presence and you won't worry about meeting other people's expectations. Is this good or, or bad? I mean, I can go either way. And the third thing is they immediately followed him. They bought into the sacrificial life. Some of us still have the attitude like Peter. After following Jesus for three years, they went to Jesus and he said, Hey, I'll, we, we left. Do you remember? We left all to follow you. See, some of you are still in that adjustment period of wondering if you're going to get more out of this then you got out of that. Peter said, we left all to follow you. What's in it for us? Jesus said, if you left father and mother, houses and lands, brothers and sisters to follow me, in this life, you'll have a hundredfold. I look at my family here today and I'm like, wow, God, you sure did bless me. You really did bless me with people and friends and people that care for us and the phone calls and the texts and the people last Sunday that embraced and let us know we was, they were praying for us. And, and oh, wow, it was just incredible. And Jesus said, if you, if you follow me a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come, the benefits of following me are greater than any benefits you will ever get out of this world. And so the Bible said they immediately left their nets. So what are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying today is, is God sent me here to get in your face today and say, I'm waiting for a decision. I need you to make a decision. Are you going to buy into this or are you just going to stay adjusted to your churchisms and your religiosity and your mode of operandi and be satisfied with that? Or are you willing to say, where he leads me, I will follow? My wife and I, just a few days ago, and Brother Jeremy, if you'll come help me. 
my wife and I just a few days ago was, was on the road going somewhere. Uh, and by the way, would y'all pray that life would just, I wouldn't have to go anywhere for a while? I'm just really tired, ready to stay in Midland. My wife and I was on the road uh, going somewhere. I think, we, I think it was Brother George when he was having some surgery at MD Anderson. And we were trying to get down there. And we stopped at, at San Angelo. And I was putting gas in, in the vehicle, and, and I'm standing there, and a man gets out of the car and walks around, and God says to me, pray for that man. I'm like, really? And I heard him again. He said, pray for that man, and I'm like, he didn't know me. I don't know who he is. And God said, Pray for that man. So I walked around the pump. See, some of you think I just, I hear and I just kind of like, yeah, let's go pray for him. I struggle with it just like you do. So I walked around the pump and I, I think Beth had come out of, the, out of the station. His wife walked up and I said, sir, I don't know what this is about, but I feel led to pray for you today. And he began to tell us that they were on their way, literally, or had just come back, I guess, had just come back from MD Anderson where he had had cancer surgery. Had no way of knowing. So my wife and I joined hands with him and his wife and right there at the gas pump, we, we, we prayed for him. I don't know, God, there, wasn't, there wasn't an epiphany and an angel came down and, and cancer, we seen cancer fly out of his body. I don't, I don't know, I don't know whether he's well or he's still sick or maybe he's even passed. But I know God said to me, pray for that man. It's not easy sometimes because the passion, you know, you can get into church service and wow, everything's going and man, I want to go lay hands on everybody and pray for everybody. But this is not the mission field, ladies and gentlemen. This is not the mission field. The mission field's out there. So I wonder what God's going to ask you to do this week or next week. Maybe he already has asked that you're kind of ignoring him and kind of pushing him back. And you see the text come up and you delete it. Caller ID, you ignore it. And yet God's saying, I'm calling today. I know you're not qualified. I, God, I can't heal anybody. I'm not calling you to heal anybody. I'm just calling you to say a prayer with somebody. I'm calling you to reach out to somebody. I'm causing you to talk to somebody that you wouldn't normally talk to. Shiny penny, dirty penny, it doesn't matter. They all are precious in the sight of God.